0: We are kicking things off here with Andrew Lamb's collection of stories called Birds of Paradise Lost. I thought a little Paul Simon would be uh, appropriate for this story. This song is called Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover. She said it's really not habit to the story begs the question what is a lover? Additionally, what is love? I like what Paul Simon says here. Here we go. Fifty ways to leave your lover. You just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plans, and you don't need to be caught. Just get yourself free. Or hop on the bus, cause you don't need to discuss much. Just come off the ceiling and get yourself free. Ooh, sleep out of the back, yeah. Make a new plans, yeah. You Don't need to be caught, but... ah. <laughs> uh, that just kind of sums it up right there. Love, love, and our culture is dispensable. It is. It is. Just simply the gratification of physical pleasure. That is true love in our pop culture society. Every song, every movie, it seems, affirms the fact that a loving relationship is really only good as long as you're getting your needs met. And when you stop getting your needs met, slip out the back, Jack. (laughs) Make a new plan, Stan. No need to be coy, Roy. Just get yourself free. And this this first story, Love Leather, is is really an interesting contrast between two things. Two very different views of love. One, a very traditional Vietnamese couple. This Vietnamese couple coming from very traditional society, uh, growing up in uh, a much more traditional time. They talk at the very beginning um, about what it was like to to date as as young people in a more traditional society. Um, he uh, he says this on. Uh, let's see here, page. Actually, there's not a page here. It's it's a few pages into the story where. Um, where Mr. Lay uh, describes the way he began to date his wife. Um, And uh, the way he began to date her was by following her, right, after school. And then eventually holding a parasol and helping her her fix her parasol, um, helping her uh, with her umbrella and through that, after many months of talking and poetry, uh, poetry writing, uh, they began to, to date. Uh, but it was not a, a sexual relationship as, uh, as it seems to be described here uh, in this story. Um, the By contrast to this traditional Vietnamese couple, we have the sex quote-unquote, sex-addicted culture that the Vietnamese people seem to see in America. In this San Francisco community, Mr. lay because he's a good leather worker, is able to get a job um, at, a, at a sex shop called Love Leather. And his job is is one where he fixes uh, sex toys and so forth, dildo, dildos and strap-ons and so forth. Um, all kinds of things that are far far out of his his normal experience as a, as a from as a man from a traditional uh, Vietnamese culture the, the, the wonderful thing about this story are the contrasts right or one of the wonderful things are the contrasts and again this is a, a key thing so you have Mr. and Mrs. Le um, versus uh, these young homosexual men in the shop are actually they're not really that young I guess but these men in the shop, and how they speak of love in very different ways. The men in the shop um, and, and kind of the, the whole idea behind the shop in some ways is all about um, role-playing and theatrics. A lot of the things they sell in the shop are are costumes and, and role-playing uh, elements uh, that uh, that kind of depict their their sex life and how they view love as a game, as a toy, as a, as a way to uh, satisfy desires well by contrast mr and mrs lay and each time mr lay kind of talks about and describes the interesting things that men in the shop talk about you see this very different view of life a very different view of life at one point mr lay gets upset with Stephen, um and he says this this is uh pretty far about the middle middle of the story um He says this, you know, Mr. Lay, I've been thinking I'm a refugee too, Stephen said, and Mr. Lay looked at him, fixing his glasses. This is just after Mr. Lay explained that his brother was killed in the war. I'm serious now, Stephen said. I fled from my God-fearing old man's crazy Mississippi shit. It was not the beating. Every kid I knew got whipped. Hell, I even fancied myself a preacher. uh, Sorry, I even fancied myself a preacher when I was young, if you can believe it. Now, I ain't afraid of this, of his belt. You know what I'm saying? Just the way he looked at me when he found me out and wished his faggot son was dead. So I ran. Then here, I made real good friends, but lost half to AIDS. And they were more family to me than my family ever was. So I figured it's kind of like war too, you know? What I went through, I'm serious now. Stephen's voice was sad and low, but Mr. Lay only nodded and said nothing. AIDS is not the same as war, he was thinking, not even close. People with AIDS at least knew carnal pleasure, which in the end was what killed many of them. People who died under bombs died right away or soon thereafter from their wounds. They don't dance behind cash registers in tran- to trance music talking up a storm. They die without saying goodbye to loved ones in horror and screaming and in anguish. Bombs and bullets give you no time. Um. So the first time I read this, I had this question here. I just I posted, I wrote, um, what do you think about this comparison? Is it supposed to be just a ridiculous comment from a, a ridiculous half-stoned man? Or are we meant to hear something important in it? Could his question or could his comparison be representative of the blindness of those who are caught up in greed, lust, and physical gratification? It's amazing how powerful greed can be as it shapes the way we see things and the way we understand things. And clearly these these guys that run this sex shop, Steven and Roger, are are blind to a lot of really important things that Mr. Lay can see. Uh, These men have have a real kind of twisted, strange understanding of the world around them. Whereas Mr. Lay, ironically, who comes from war-torn, communist, brutal Vietnam where he had to go into re-education camps, which is, uh, as you know from our reading of The Sympathizer, no joke uh, in terms of just torture and and uh, debasing treatments that that thrash one's mind. So here Mr. Lay actually has a more clear-headed mind than these men who grew up in America. Mr. Lay has a broader understanding of life and love and relationship than these men who have been free their whole lives. Mr. Lay seems to see more clearly what freedom is for than these men who have grown up in a free society. If you look at that next page over, this is where he gets mad, right? Mr. Lay slammed the pair of scissors he was holding onto the work table. Not everything in life is sex, Stephen, he said evenly. No, Stephen voiced, Stephen's voice rose to meet his, but everyone's ruled by some kind of desire. Mr. Leigh frowned, but Stephen backed down quickly, his voice barely a whisper. Um, fascinating statement there. Everyone is ruled by some kind of desire. Uh, I'm not sure that I would, I would agree with that, but I would agree with this statement made by a uh, philosopher out of Calvin College a uh, guy whose whose books I think are fantastic uh, James K A Smith he um, has a book You Are What You Love that's what his book is called he also has a kind of a, a three part series of books Desiring the Kingdom and I'm forgetting the other ones but a big part of of uh, James K a. Smith's uh, kind of theory about life and philosophy is um is that we are shaped by our desires. We are shaped by our desires. Now, his comment here: "We are ruled by some kind of desire." Uh, takes that a step, I think, further than it really can be justifiably supported. Um, I don't think we're necessarily ruled by desire, but we're definitely we definitely um, are influenced by uh, and deeply moved and transformed in some ways by the things we desire and the things we love. Um, If you love things that are oppressive, if you love things that simplify you and uh, focus on just one aspect of who you are, say sexuality, um, then you become something of a a desiring, lustful thing. And, uh, And in some ways you become kind of shrunk to that thing itself. If you love something that's far bigger than you, give your life to pursue something far bigger than you, full of mystery and complexity, then perhaps you can become a little bit more like that. Uh, and, and we have so many choices in this life. Um, and so again, that that text, James K. Smith's You Are What You Love is a fascinating kind of um, argument that says you um, got to choose wisely the things you love because you are transformed by them in some ways. So Stephen is definitely ruled by... His sexual desire. If you go to the bottom of that page, libido is sex drive, pure lust and desire. It's what makes someone a fool of his old self. Stephen murmured quietly above Mr. Lay I never had any control, Mr. Lay. I've always been a fool, fool for love, and look where it gets me. Oh, this one actually is even more tragic than many of the other statements in this story because it then asks the question what is love, right? Um, it is vital. It seems this story seems to to push. It's vital that we as human beings understand what love is and what love is not. Love is not sexual desire, not even close. Love is not physical attraction. This fades with time. Love is faithfulness, sacrifice, kindness, gentleness, peace, and a deep desire to stay connected at all costs. And that's what we see illustrated. Between Mr. and Mrs. Lay, Uh, fascinating. Um, One of my favorite passages in this story is early on, um, as he writes in his journal quite a bit, Um, we see this, uh, I think a third or fourth page in, and the paragraph starts, one day at the bottom of a page on the subject of sadomasochism. This is Mrs. Lay reading Mr. Lay's journal. She found her husband's meditation on the Vietnamese word, min. Which both she and Mr. Lay were fond of using. I don't know why, but Stephen's sadomasochism reminds me of the word min. It's a difficult word to explain. Min oi literally means, oh, body. What it intends, my dear husband or my dear wife, depending on who the speaker is. How to explain the usage of this word to Stephen? The self, when loved, is shared, no longer singular the self, a bridge to another. Men can be you, men can be me, men can be us, all depending on the context. Your body is mine, is yours, is ours, as long as we exist in an intimate circle. Also consider namen, our house, or our family. You and I, through love and its consequences, are connected in a way that bonds beyond sex, beyond shared flesh, a communion, of souls this is a wonderful passage and, uh, and again this is a passage from mr lay's journal that mrs lay is reading it says the next the next par- paragraph says when she read this passage mrs lay was moved to tears um, and i think that's a really cool thing um, she sees his understanding uh, mr lay's understanding of love she sees mr lay's understanding of of self and other and And what this term, this phrase he uses is intimate circle. And I think that's a wonderful phrase there too. Everything depends on us existing in an intimate circle. And that's another word for marriage in many ways, right? A a commitment between two individuals that is made in a very powerful promise um, that, that opens this couple up to levels of freedom that are unknown outside of that marriage relationship. The freedom that one experiences in a marriage is not perfect, but it's rooted in a promise. It's rooted in a commitment. It's rooted in a promise to, to, to stay together until death do us part. In sickness and in health, for richer or poor, all these wonderful promises that are made a part of a marriage that he's talking about here, that's all part of that intimate circle. But it's only in that intimate circle where one can truly say your body is mine, is yours, is ours. Uh, because there is trust there. There is sacrifice there. There's, unselfish, there's an unselfishness there that allows two people to live in a place of peace and confidence with each other. Well, this whole thing unravels at the end in this horrific uh, sex parade. Um, and, uh, it's just fascinating that, uh, that, that Andrew Lamb is, is a fantastic writer. The way he ends this, I think is fascinating, right? Um, he's there at the parade and he has all these interesting ins- inspirations, right? These thoughts that he has. And the one that I find most interesting is that paragraph that starts in that fraction of a second before whip and parasol descend the image that will become the new world. Is that of a mysterious and vast garden. In it, flowers bloom from a myriad of dreams and far flung desires, its soil made fertile by love and its endless foibles. The descending sun washes the world in a fiery orange light. The air wavers. Farther out, the crowd stares, their blurred faces aglow with expectations. Mr. Lay didn't see it before, but he sees it now. How far he has traveled. His dream has taken him farther from his homeland in a way than the jumbo jet plane never could. How everything has changed, as if the skin, once broken, will in some way remain forever open to the larger world, just as the borders, once crossed, remain forever porous to the traveler. So, what's being compared here again? His travel, his dream of America, uh, did not include these weird Sex parades. It did not include these strange misuses of freedom uh, that that devolve into strange kind of sexual behavior and and sexual uh, addictions. That these men are these men and women are are kind of caught up in and oppressed by. But rather, his dream had taken him farther from his homeland in a way that a jumbo jet never could. Um, The the jumbo jet only takes him a certain distance from his country. But culture and cultural differences, that's what really takes you farther from your country than a plane ever could. And that's a really fascinating comment, right? What is the distance between cultures? Uh, It it comes down to a difference of of way of seeing, uh, of way of understanding. These are the things that truly separate people. Um, And those are the things that often culture can create in us. But what we really have to find as we seek to to find peace with one another are these differences in seeing and understanding. And you can never tell what what someone understands by looking at them. And so once again, one of these stories seems to end with this notion of, of the differences in culture, but also differences in each individual's mind that are shaped by their set of experiences. And this is how we can grow to know one another and grow into more intimate places with people that, uh, that allow us to love them. All right. That'll do for this one.